Welcome to Develop Lex, Middle Tech's newest series sponsored by SVM Stone Commercial Real Estate and hosted by me, Weston Lockhart, and Evan Knowles. This series will focus on the ins and outs of real estate development and investing, where we'll have the opportunity to sit down with the developers of our cities, veterans of the industry, and key people that have over time made a massive impact on communities and neighborhoods. The purpose of this series is to be able to bring a knowledge base to our audience beyond that of what reading a book or watching a how-to video ever could, and educate from those who have done it by hearing their stories, both good and bad, along the way. We feel that historically the learnings of real estate have been inaccessible without being connected, and we would love to open the doors to the next generation of doers as well as shine a light on how visions of community have been brought to life. We hope you enjoy. SVN Stone Commercial Real Estate is a full-service commercial real estate firm located in Lexington, Kentucky, affiliated with the SVN International Network, which is comprised of over 1,600 advisors and staff in 200-plus offices across the globe. Serving the greater Lexington area, SVN offers advisory services for sales, leasing, management, and development of commercial properties locally, regionally, and nationally. With a transaction volume of over $400 million, the advisors at SVN Stone Commercial Real Estate have a vast experience and deep understanding of all aspects of commercial real estate. This episode is also brought to you by Ryan Kaminish and Lucas Owens of the Brokerage Real Estate Advisors. Ryan and Lucas are a Lexington, Kentucky real estate team and dynamic duo specialing in first-time home buyers and first-time real estate investors in and around downtown Lexington. Their partnership allows them to provide a high level of value, service, and communication and connect their clients to great opportunities when it comes to real estate in Lexington, Kentucky. All right, Chad, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're looking forward to this interview. This is one that I'm personally excited about because I live on the north side, just bought a house about a year and a half ago up there and really looking forward to diving into the details and seeing where that whole space is heading. So let's uh, let's start with, before we get into any of those details, let's start with your background. So give us the scoop on you know where you're from and your education and we'll go from there. Sure. I'm from Lexington, Kentucky, born, uh, raised here on the north side of Lexington. I went to Russell Cave Elementary, Winburn, Bryan Station, and then Trancy. I do get questions and meet people that come into the neighborhood, and I say I'm as about as north side as, as he gets. So I feel uh, very comfortable in the area, a lot of friends from the area, and uh, actually delivered pizzas in the area. So if you ever want to learn about area, work for a pizza shop and deliver pizzas. That and sounds know, like a great way to do it. You'll know all about it. So did you ever leave the city? I did. Uh, after Trancy, I graduated. I worked two years here in the city for an ad agency, and then I took a job with Papa John's uh, Pizza in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was a marketing manager for them. Got it. Cool. And so when somebody asks you now, what do you do, what's your answer to that? Because oftentimes real estate investors, anybody in the space, they got their hands in like a lot of things, right? And so for you in particular, when somebody asks you what you do, what, what's your answer? It's a very simple answer. I buy old buildings, I fix them up, and I lease them out. Or sell them if that makes sense. Got it. Very simple. Yeah. No, that's a great way And to most say people say, oh, I'd really like to do that. Yeah. Which I think to myself, okay, then go do it. Um, I think it's open to a lot of people to go do. But, you know, I did commit to doing it. So it is my full-time, full-time job. Do you think it has to be full-time? Mm, I think to do something well, I think you have to commit to it. Now, it does. some people have the ability, I think, to get a lot of things done by holding in managing well other people, holding them accountable. I'm probably more of a doer than a than a delegator, so it made sense for me to to jump in, learn the trade, 
and and commit to it. Yeah, and how and how did you first get started with that? I first got started as a I decided in college that uh, we had an opportunity to live off campus at Trancy my junior year. I was the only one still living in Lexington. I had a summer job, and most I played soccer for Trancy, and I had probably eight or nine guys that wanted a place to live, and we thought it'd be cool to have a soccer house, you know. So I thought, well, that's a big house to find, but I thought if I could find this house uh, and rent it, I possibly could, uh, you know, everyone could live for much less than we lived and paid dorm fees at Trancy. Plus, socially, it made a little more sense because we didn't have visitation and some other <laughs> rules that Trancy uh, required at the dorms. Uh, so it was. I put it on myself to find this. I'd never. I couldn't find kind of early in that summer a place for everyone to rent. So I saw several places that were for sale, and I put a little business plan together. I I didn't have any money, and I went to my mom and dad. I said, Dad, if I could buy a little place, um, I have about eight guys that want to rent it. And then I possibly could live for free next year. And he thought that was an interesting idea. So he said, hash that out in the business plan and go look at some properties and then, you know, let me know what you found and uh, we'll talk about it. So I, that was really cool. It was my first business plan that I'd written. Obviously, I'm trying to sell my mom and dad on this experience. And they were in a spot, I think being good parents, they heard me out and and actually kind of respected what I brought to them. And then, you know, in the end, um, they kind of reeled me back in because I didn't really have a budget and I wasn't thinking really what that was like. My parents didn't have the means to buy a big house. The first house I looked at was right in Fayette Park and it could easily house eight to 10 guys very easily. And I thought this is going to be fantastic. And uh, that would definitely was not in the budget. <laughs> so uh, long story short, I found a little place on Constitution Street, which is right in between uh, kind of Sayre Middle and High School, close to Trancy. And it was a three-bedroom, two-bath, and it was uh, for sale for 75000 and we negotiated down to 60000 and put a, I didn't have to put that much work into it. I think the guy had bought it for very little money. And uh, he was happy. I was happy. And so I had uh, five roommates and we all lived in this house on Constitution Street. And I got, that was kind of my first real estate deal. And luckily I ended up making about 200 bucks a month. So, um, but I was responsible for all the bills. Mom and dad held the mortgage. And uh, my deal with them was that I would operate this until, you know, either I moved out of Lexington or didn't want anymore. And then I would pay the mortgage that was in their name, pay all the utilities, and in the end, we would sell it, and I would pay them back whatever I owed them, and then we would split the difference. Nice. Good old house hack. It's it... a good old house, and luckily, mom and dad were great to kind of uh, be a part of that and had the ability to at the time. Yeah. And, and you know, when I first got involved in real estate, I was studying and listening to as many podcasts as I could, and that's called a house hacking. House hacking. And yep. so I'm currently doing that now on Loudon Street. I've got roommates yep. and same situation. So it's, it's, it's a great way to do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just, you know, you live with friends and you get the mortgage paid for and maybe a little bit extra. And that's exactly uh, it's right. It's fun. So how did you spiral that or push that into and advance that into eventually commercial? Like where, sure. where did that, how did that Well, that was, um, that was a good experience. Um, how that whole ended is I had graduated from, uh, college with a marketing degree from Trancy. I got a job offer, a couple of them. I took one in marketing and then 
you know, still had the house. I wanted to maybe do a little more of this, but my job never really enabled me to because I was busy with my corporate job and ended up getting this job in Louisville and uh, operated for about another year. There were still soccer players coming in. It kind of became known as a soccer house and then really got away with it. Sold it, sold it for $100,000, split that difference with my parents. And so that really enabled me to, to have some good savings early on in life. And then uh, my corporate job, I was always uh, living with, uh, with friends, so I was able to reduce my expenses. But really, it wasn't until about 10 years later that I got into this business. I mean, I stayed mm. on the corporate got path. Okay. And, um, you know, we, you work that path and you realize at some point I did buy another house. Then I did do the same thing when I was in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, that worked fine. And then I got transferred. I took a job out in Arkansas working for Walmart, similar job, good opportunity, was there for three years, realized I was going to be there for probably the rest of my life. And I made a conscious decision to move back to Lexington for a while and uh, always liked Lexington, never visioned staying. And then just met along the way several entrepreneurs that had invested in the Papa John's franchises. A couple bosses also had invested in some real estate I thought, you know, I've dealt with commercial real estate on the on the retail side of the of uh, of pizza, so you know, could possibly um, parlay into something. It wasn't until I came back, didn't know what I truly was going to do. I actually opened a pizza place after corporate America and operated that for four years, and so that was a real entrepreneurial experience. I ended up opening a shop here in Lexington, Kentucky and an Eastland Shopping Center. And first year was really tough. And then second year, just kind of stayed with it, kind of re- reformulated what I was, uh, how I was selling pizza, became more uh, commercial in my pizza sales. It wasn't so much retail competing against Pizza Hut, Papa John's, Domino's, Little Caesars. I was going after more group contract orders. So I eventually got, just through getting on the phone, reaching out, making that sales call, following up, I was able to to get all the Fayette County public school business. So I took a small pizza place that had no sales and built that into a pretty big pizza place. We were, we were selling about, let's see, 1,800 to 2,000 pizzas at lunch every day coming wow. out of that pizza place. And then we also had our, our, res, our residential customers as well. So that was pretty cool. It took me about 35 people to do that order. And so I became, again, more of a manager of people and managing, you know, 18 to 20, 16, 18, 20-year-olds, you know, in high school that, or those that have not been, you know, dropped out of high school, delivering and, you know, having, uh, it was a great first business experience. I really almost didn't make it. And then just by reformulating, going after sales, I thought I could get really competing against more of the managers of the Papa John's and the Domino's that really weren't inspired or or even they really didn't have the a, a lot of leeway to go out and, and call on business. They kind of, you know, they were managing pizza stores where I was, you know, managing but also owning. And I was like, I really want to grow this. So I was put my sales cap on and really went out and tried to grow this small it's an entrepreneurial pizza venture very much a so. management, you know, a management company. And I shouldn't have probably uh, done that in hindsight because <laughs> it made no financial sense. But I, I was a good saver and I thought I really wanted to try something that I knew. I felt I knew pizza. 
I knew the marketing side of pizza. I didn't really know the operation side. I quickly knew that. But, you know, I learned to make pizzas. And I managed the store every day. So being there and uh, seeing the phone ring and the minute, you know, I sold one one phone call rang. And this is kind of what, what uh, I got an order from a church for about 20 pizzas. And I thought, wow, that phone rang once and I made 20 pizzas. Let's see if we can continue to do that. So let's call on all those that need to buy a lot of pizza, schools, factories, churches, groups, and then define that customer base and see if we can market ourselves that way. Smart. So that's what it did. And then I sold that in 07 and made some money. And that's when I bought my first really retail retail building. And talk about that. Talk okay. about that first deal. So the first retail building, I sold the business. I was looking for a partner because I was working in immense hours. And uh, I got all the contracts back for the next year. So I had about a million dollars worth of sales guaranteed to the pizza place coming in for the next year. And that created some value. I talked to a few people that I had some advice. I couldn't really raise the price because you're contracted at that point. And, but we had done really great service. So then I looked to, pot, to uh, maybe get a partner or to sell the business. And I felt like it was the right time to do that. I was a little burned out and uh, I had the business back. So it just was a unique situation that I could have stayed. In hindsight, maybe I should have, but I don't know. I thought realistically, deep down, I'm probably burnt out. And it's best that I, I move this on. I met someone that was interested in buying it. So we worked out a deal and that, that's that. The Spalding's Bakery, I had a little bit extra money. What was I going to do with it? Putting in the bank seemed boring, and now I'm an entrepreneur. So I have no – I'm on my own. I have I have no insurance, really, <laughs> that I have to pay for myself. I have no retirement just from what I've saved. So why don't I kind of create a pension is what I thought. And I thought – I read a couple real estate books, and I thought, you know, maybe I could buy a building – rent it out. If I can make an extra hundred or 200 bucks a month, the tenant could pay the mortgage. And then I could ultimately in 15, 20 years, I would go back to my corporate job, have something for retirement. Well, the Spalding Bakery that was sitting there vacant on North Lyme. They wanted 150,000 for it. The roof was falling in, you know, they had ceased business. And, um, this is before they'd opened their shop up on Winchester. And, uh, it wasn't with a, a, a great agent. I don't even remember his name, but it wasn't a, a well-known kind of company or agent. And so, and no one wanted it. Tim Mellon, who had done the development for the Atomic Cafe where Doodles is and, you know, on the corner of 3rd and Limestone. I worked for for the Atomic Cafe during college waiting tables. And I'd met him and I, I kind of remembered him doing that. And being in, being in Lexington, I looked at UK, every, you know, everyone says buy apartments over at UK. That sounds fun. And fine and but I just everything seemed expensive I couldn't afford that I couldn't make any of it cash flow uh, at the time and so you know I had some time and then the Spalding's Bakery I thought you know I don't mind the construction side of it and I'll learn a little bit so why not just we worked out a deal I lowballed them I think I offered 40,000 on the 150 which was huge but I thought it needs 150 and it's not worth any more than 200 So why not? That's about what I felt comfortable paying, knowing I have to put the money back into it. You just can't buy it at 40 and rent it. I mean, it wasn't And you were able disaster. to justify that in your offer. 
I was in my mind, not having, I'm a little more uh, put together on how I evaluate a property now. I just felt as though if I had, if based on having an upstairs apartment, because it, it was mixed use, a downstairs business, and there was a little space next door for another little office. So it could be three income generating little units. Could that offset it? If I stayed, you know, under 200, I thought, yeah, it probably can. And, um, you know, I had no tenants. I had no experience doing that, but just thought that that would, I could make that happen. And I, it took, I thought it could do it in six months and it took me a year and a half, but I learned, you know, and I did it all myself. This is a problem with doing something quickly is because I had no tenants wanting to come in, didn't really matter. And I just sold my pizza business. So I had a little time. Not everyone gets in a situation that way, but you know, I learned the plumbing, I learned electric, I learned, you know, masonry. And so I enjoyed that. I had one person help me and to redo an old, uh, you know, about a 3,500, maybe 2,500 square foot building all by yourself takes about a year and a half. <laughs> yeah. And so your first deal, uh, retail deal was on North Limestone. Correct. You stayed in the area. Right? I stayed in the area. Why? What, what attracts you up there? Okay. What gets you excited? The only thing that attracted me is I got the building done and I found a tenant, John Lackey, who was a painter. He wanted the downstairs. Well, John Lackey didn't have enough money to pay really rent. He was an artist. And I felt as though he'd be better than no one at the moment. And in the end, I liked John. He was a good guy. And upstairs, I was, you know, I'd redone the apartment so I could, you know, maybe live up there or I could rent that out. So I ended up renting that out. An office came and wanted it. And so at that point, I had both of those rented out and the little downstairs office, the upstairs took as well. So they took it office and then John was downstairs and everything was fine. And so the neighbor across the street, old man Maxberry, he had the liquor store and the last year and a half, his clientele drove me crazy. And he would sit over there and you'd walk in, this is where North Lime Coffee and Donuts end up going. And you'd walk in, it'd be all caged up and he'd have a gun right there on the counter and you could buy your, your 40 and, and that's what happened all day long. And Mr. Max Bear and I became friends. I wasn't a drinker, but I go in and say hello to him. And one day he said to me, he said, Chad, you, um, you've been over there for a year now. He said, and I really feel sorry for you. And I said, why? He said, because you were spending so much money and, and I just, I feel for you. I see you every day. And I said, well, thanks, Max Berry. I said, everything's fine for me. I said, but what's driving me crazy is your customers. They sit here and loiter all day long and are drunk and walking around. I've got to know them all, but half of them are, you know, just not a good group. And when I'm done with this, I'm trying to rent it out. So I'd like to maybe, you know, help, help this image or something. And he said, Chad, he said, you should have bought my building. And I said, okay. I said, well, are you offering it to me for sale? And he said, uh, you know, I've been, I have a pension with Lex or with the old IBM. He said, you know, my sons aren't interested in this. So yeah, maybe. So we just stayed friends. And then he had a really rough three days where he had a couple employees that didn't show up. And I saw him on that Monday, like he worked and he was an old retired guy. He worked uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and he was tough as nails. I mean, he wouldn't close down. And I went in on a Monday and I said, Max Bear, I said, you look terrible. He said, yeah, everyone didn't show on me. I worked, you know, 40 hours over the weekend. I said, why are you doing this? Just retire. 
He said, will you buy my building? I'll retire. I said, deal. <laughs> Not that I said, I'll miss you, but I really enjoyed, uh, I really uh, would enjoy changing this up from a liquor store. So that's how that's got me to stay on North Limestone for the next year. Just because you had two big deals you had to yeah, take and, care of. And, yeah. And, and so and and his building needed work. Yeah. So, uh, you know, after I finished and that leased and I went right over to Maxbury. So as, as a conglomerate area, how far, like when you look at your area of, of where you pay the most attention to. Mm-hmm. Talk about that space. Like, where does it extend to? Give us an idea of, like, that general. Yeah, you kind of grow where you're planted. I mean, I didn't, I couldn't at that point, maybe I'm just singular in thinking, but I thought, you know, there's so many buildings in this corridor here. And I wasn't even thinking off the block. I was just thinking on the corner. But, you know, the minute you do the corner, people drive by every day. They get to know you. They see you. You're engaged in the neighborhood. And, you know, you start becoming friends with the neighbors and, you know, they walk by and ask, what's it going to be? And, you know, a, a house up the street came up for sale. And he said, Chad, I see you're doing great things on the corner. Would you be interested in, in buying this? It was in my family. We don't want it anymore. And it's just sitting there vacant. I said, let me come look at it. It's a disaster. But I just finished a disaster. And I thought, well, you know, this will probably give me a little more experience in what I just did. And at that point, you know, you see rotten box gutters. Pigeons living in, you know, upstairs, rotten floors, bad foundations, no plumbing, no electric. He was like, yeah, I could probably figure this out. And so, uh, and that was a, you know, that, that, that was a residence. So I didn't feel like when I did the numbers, I could keep that residence and rent it out. So I decided that I would flip that from the get-go. It's like, well, I've got, if I've got to put 150 in it. I'm going to flip it. But 150 gets you new roof, new plumbing, new HVAC, new electric. So it's a full kind of gut and redo. Mm-hmm. And then I had a buddy out of nowhere that worked at Lexmark. And he said, Chad, I'd love to buy that house. I said, you would? He said, yeah. He said, well, you, you know, I'm getting married and my new uh, wife wants this kind of kitchen. Could you build us that kitchen? And this was before I was even done with it. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I could put that kitchen in. And... um you know, and so we added up all the costs and I sold it to him when I was done with it. And so that gave me a little more money to go invest back in the, the coffee and donut shop and continue to the next project. And then the next one, you know, turned into the next one and it turns into the next one. And before you know it, you put your head down, you've been working 10 years and you've done, you know, I probably had 25 buildings. And at that point, kind of in that, once I felt like I'd done two or three I'd able to, I was able to sell a few, and I had to sell a few to keep going along the way. It's not like I just had this endless you know, money of pizza money, I used to call it. I mean, that went quick. So you know, then you have to figure out, all right, how do I work with a bank? How do I leverage what I have in my account with what I can borrow? And I think that's where you know, getting a good banker, and that would be my first probably big advice, is even if you have $100,000 saved or $50,000 saved, I wouldn't take that and buy the whole building. I would I would look to leverage that. And now is probably as good a time as ever. Interest rates are great. Although properties are high, but you know, you, if you got to jump in, you got to jump in whatever the market is and take yeah, take that money. If you got 50 in the bank, I wouldn't spend any more than 20 and buy a property that you can do with that money. That's 20% down. So it's essentially a $100,000 property. And if you got to borrow a little bit to get it fixed up, but I think what you're doing, Evan's great. I mean, I think, you know, it all starts there. I mean, I just, I because I committed to it, 
I mean, I had the ability to go look at a deal or not. And then, you know, I would leave, you know, fixing some, some siding on the day and just go look at another deal. And, you know, and I just stayed right in that area. So, and something that you mentioned there and that you have continued to mention is the relationship part of it and that you've, you're from the North side, you've built relationships on the North side. So let's talk about blending together. You know, you, you went to Transy and you started to kind of blend together the community of the North side and people have gotten to know you, you're investing in real estate all around. What, what does that really look like for you? Well, I think you're part of the neighborhood. I mean, I think people that drive by and see you and, and they see that you do good work and they see that it's in better than what it was. And does he think about what what goes in? And I think that creates a, a value to to your self-worth among among your neighbors that if something comes up or we see something we don't like, you know, would you be interested in looking at it? So people will call me and say, Chad, my neighbor is selling their house or their little building. Would you be interested in looking at it? And I said, yeah, sure, let me come look at it. And so that's really how all my business has grown, just by, you know, doing right on one building and starting that way. And I was always present. You know, it's not been a business that I have really thought about saying, okay, if I can do it on the corner of 6th and Lime, I can also do it in Lexington. I can also do it on in out Nicholsville Road, and I can do it out Winchester and out. I never had that, I thought, management ability. You know, could I do that in in Denver, Colorado. I mean, the formula probably is the same, but managing that uh, is something that I just didn't feel like I had the ability to do. Yeah, you're a very hands-on guy. Yeah, and and that probably limits my ultimate ability. But then again, you know, I think we all have to define for ourselves what do we want out of life and what what is enough um, or what's not enough. And if you feel like you need to do 150 properties to get whatever goal you've set for yourself, then figure out how to do that. And if that creates hiring three managers and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're going to have to pay them, you're going to have to hold them accountable, you become more of a, you know, an executive manager at that point. Is that If that's the role you're good in and you like, then maybe you should go that route. I was more of a doer. I wouldn't, even after 10 buildings, I was still doing the masonry. I mean, I was still doing the plumbing. And that's probably not the fastest way to really grow if that's what you're interested in. Now, I felt like in that neighborhood, you know, they were – it seems like the the deals I were able to find were always coming up about the time that I needed them to come up. And those that weren't, you know, you evaluate it and said – you know, I did get in a little bit of a financial crisis early on when I bought a couple buildings that you just couldn't pass up. And you're like, wow, it's a great deal. I got to go for it. Well – You've got two other projects you haven't finished yet. The bank's like, eh, eh. And you're like, no, I can make it all work. And they're like, no, it's not working. And so that's where you need either an investor or a family uh, to help you. And so at that point, you know, I took on a little investor, just a monetary investor, not, not almost treated him like a bank. And that's how I presented it. I don't want you to have any say here. And I stayed all on my own. So I didn't have any partners. So that probably helped me be a little bit more savvy or, or have the ability to at least make decisions quicker and then pay back. I don't have to split the income at the end. So even though you feel like you're definitely doing it alone and having a partner is kind of fun, but unless that partner really offsets, I think, what it is you're good at, I think that, you know, if you start start doing the same thing, I think that there there could be issues there. Makes sense. So you, you've been a part of that neighborhood forever. So this question probably is not going to be answered uh, like some other people might. So 
there is this talk of gentrification. I've seen art- articles, you know, in, in the paper and people concerned. Have you ever run into any negative sentiment about what you're doing or because you're part of that neighborhood? Talk no. about that that sentiment. Sure. Um, you know, that comes up. I think when it does come up, I've got kind of my foundation of who I am and where I come from that I think can squash a lot of that. Yeah. Um, now, not everyone can, can, can bring that. Um, I feel very confident and I've sat in meetings with the whole neighborhood of 150 people and had to address this issue and we eventually come to an impasse of that person or persons would rather see a building vacant than see it fixed up and and so we have to agree to disagree on that because that is ultimately the building is going to get redone as Lexington grows, as infill happens in the environment that we're in, it's going to get done. My just answer to that, not that I'm answering what it is they want to hear maybe, but my answer to that is, would you rather have someone local do it that lives in the neighborhood, that's using local money, hiring local people, bringing something in that we can all discuss maybe what we want to see, or do you want, it's going to get done. So just, it's going to get raised, or it's going to get a pawn shop or a liquor store or some other probably neighborhood predatory kind of Payday businesses lines. that we just don't, I don't really want to live around. Now, maybe you have a different vision for that, but that's what's going to happen. So either that happens or someone bigger, this is what happened with Gray Line from out of state is going to come in. They don't know anyone in the neighborhood, nor do they care, nor do they ever visit it just to make some decisions. They're going to make decisions for this really big hub on the corner. Are they the best ones to make that decision? I don't know. But, you know, or those that are complaining, I can't do all the buildings, so go do it. You know, you can complain all you want, but go do it. You know, well, I don't have the means to. I'm like, well, you know what? That's not probably the best answer. We can all make those complaints. But if you really had a desire, I'd help you with a business plan. Well, I'll help you to introduce you to people that, you know, would want to see this done. But I feel as though they probably just don't want to see anything done. So we just have to disagree. And then it, it's not been something that has been too much uh, in my face. Now, a lot of people in the neighborhood that, you know, buy a lot, they do a half-ass fix-up and they rent it out. You know, I, there's there's something to that that's frustrating. I don't you know, again, I think the market will bear what it's going to bear. You could, they argue sometimes that I bring in, because I'm going to fix the corner and it becomes more retail uh, exciting and vibrant, that that creates more of a, a desire for the, the residences to become redone. I think they're going to get done. So yeah. you just kind of have to live within those. And, you know, I've never taken on a building where I have, I've never removed anyone. Every building I've done has been vacant. So, you know, I'm really bringing buildings back from the dead. I mean, they are, there's no taxes being paid on. If they are, it's small. There's no vibrancy. It, it's an eyesore to the neighborhood when you drive by. It's dangerous. People are hanging out. You know, gentrification, it's a real issue, I think. But I think, you know, when it's, it gets pointed in my hands, I feel like I have the ability and the commitment, at least to the neighborhood. It's not really how I think. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm living there now, and I I feel the same way. And I think ultimately, what it comes down to is, you know, the intent behind the decision to uh, up, upgrade a building or to put something new there. You know, the intent behind that. 
I think is what's important with, you know, the gentrification discussions. Cause like you said, it's going to happen no matter what. And it's just a matter of, of, you know, almost nature and evolution that it's going to happen. So why don't you do it with somebody like yourself who's in the neighborhood and integrating, you know, these developments into the neighborhood. And so talk about, let's transition this into particularly gray line. You mentioned it there. Sure. How have you worked with the neighborhood and talked to the neighborhood and made sure that's something that the neighborhood is, is proud of and wants that to be a part of their, of their life. So talk about that particular deal and what sure. you've done there. I think, well, Gray Line started, you know, that's many years in progress here, or going to a neighborhood meeting and learning that Lextran was going to redo the building and what their plans were for that. And their plans were for to tear down the building that currently exists as Gray Line Station and build a totally new facility because they own the five acres there on the corner. And that got very mixed reviews because that building Although in you know sat vacant for 25, 30 years, Lextran was did nothing to it. They just used it as a storage building. Their their headquarters were the next two buildings down, and they built a bus wash in between, but did nothing with this building and just let it sit there for many, many, probably 25 years. And with a few people after that meeting kind of went forward and said, we're going to put this building on the National Historic Register. And that was a bit of a that's not something I was involved in, but I knew that it was going to probably happen. And then that would create a, a little more of a challenge for Lextran to actually tear it down. And so they were able to accomplish that, which I think was a good thing. Um, it just so happened that the Sylvania plant, which was down on the corner of Russell Cave and Loudon, that got demolished. So in the end, although Lextran was quite frustrated because they spent some money to design this big, really what they built down at, at Loudon in, in, in Russell Cave... They plan to build that here, but the bit we had to lose the building. In the end, I think it worked out great. We're able to save the building. Lextran walked away from the property, I think, in frustration. And then uh, but we were able to build a really cool new facility in, in the old Sylvania plant lot. So they were still staying in the neighborhood. The jobs they were saying were going to create it, I think, were still, still in the neighborhood. They got a new building, which is what they wanted, and we got to save the old building. And at that point, uh, they pretty much abandoned the property, and they said they were going to put it up for sale. And so how I came in is just, again, being in the neighborhood meetings, being involved. The No Lie CDC, which is an entity that has started in the neighborhood really after I've been in the neighborhood, and they seem to have a mission, uh, you know, that they, they want to they push. And so at times it seems like their, their mission and their, their actions are, are off. But, you know, in reality, they are an entity that uh, I think wants to do good. So it, it was... They said they were going to buy it. Well, that hit the paper and that they bought it. And I, I, I thought to myself, you know, I've, I've spoken a couple of times with uh, Lextran. I just, I had no clue that was happening. I think I would have known that. So I called my contact at Lextran and said, this article in the paper today says that you guys sold it to the NOLI CDC. And they said, no, I don't know where that came from. That is some weird article that they, interview they had and they said that, but it's totally untrue. So then, you know, the reality of is, of it is Lextran put it up for auction with a with a broker, and you know that's how that all went. And we there was a a silent bid process, and um, there was a lot of people that came in, a lot of players downtown uh, that were going to buy the property and had some vision. Our model was, I had been to Finley Market and over the Rhine, and I'd been to. Um, Pike's Market out in Seattle, where they throw the fish. It's a great market. Wow. And thinking, could you know, could that be this? 
or could this be that? And it was really a, I think a, if you could think of anything to go in an old building, a cool public market, you know, with with a vibrant kind of retail mix and, you know, could could create a lot of opportunity, I think it would be really cool. What else would be cooler? I mean, I don't know. I mean, Northside RV comes in and, and, and puts all their RVs in the corner. I mean, no one wants that. Um, the trailer park's going to buy it. So we're going to have more trailers. The building was going to go down had had it not been able to get it. And I don't know what would have turned out then. Maybe a retail strip center with a big lots and, a, again, more pawn and more, you know, it would have, but it just wouldn't have, been, wouldn't have been a real nice, cool, adaptive reuse project like it is today. And talk about, uh, give the pitch, the sales pitch on what it is today. You know, because it, it became largely that vision. And I've been in there and it's very exciting. I cannot wait for it to be completely done give the pitch of, of what it is today and uh, what it's going to become. Yeah. So, you know, I think the, the, the sales pitch of, of it filled up quickly in the middle of the pandemic. And that was, I had several go sideways, but my pitch always was, I want, we're going to redo this building and we're going to do it in a way that I think hopefully makes it affordable for everyone that wants to open up a business in here. Now there are coming up with the plan of how we ultimately figure this out is who has to go where and who can pay what and who's interested. So, you know, really just saying, could we've got, you know, if I have 12 or 13 outside retail fronts, they can pay a little more. Could we do a kind of vendor kiosk pop-up kind of mall in the middle? Not so much uh, peddler's mall. That's not what I was thinking. I was thinking more of a, you know, any anyone that had either was making something, they were selling it on Etsy or they were selling it and they went to craft fairs. I don't want to really craft kind of market, but something like that. And um, the, could we provide reasonable, affordable, you know, opportunities for small businesses to get started in that kiosk environment? And, you know, that showed that there was a model for that. And then could we do office? And then we had an event space possibly and putting together a communal kind of a shared area and a common space that everyone could kind of, because we had this big center, you know, the building's big and it's, it's got this big center. What do we do with the center 20,000 square feet? So anyway, putting all that together, figuring out what people could pay, figuring out, you know, what ultimately I could spend on it. And then, um, you know, what I could ultimately finance the thing for. I mean, those are all, I look at a lot of things there now that we're at this level and, you know, the pitch goes back to, you know, I'm providing you an old building, has tall ceilings, has great windows. You've got anywhere from 650 to 1,300 square feet to do some type of retail. Is that, in you know, exciting for, for anyone? And, you know, I had a few handful of people that were in an existing business of mine that says, you know, Chad, we've outgrown North Lime Coffee Dome as an example. We've outgrown our, our spot up there, plus need some work, which it did. And would we be interested, could we come down to, to Gray Line? And I said, absolutely, I'd love to make that happen for you. And I was easily, because I was, the last thing I want to do is lose a tenant and put him in another spot, but it just made sense for him. I'm happy to take it on the chin, not the other one at the moment, to get them down here. That space worked out well. Forage, you know, was also across the street in a building next to Thrive Kombucha. And Forage said, we'd like a little more space. Our space is a little dark. They've been good tenants. Could we take a space? And we had a little partner named Coco that's doing some refill, a refill station. We want to partner with them. And so can we make that work? So I gave, you know, I was given deals to kind of get some cool key holders in there. And then what can we build around that? Um, the event space came out of my contact with Shelly Fortune Events. They lease 7th and Lime from, from me, and that's their offices, and they have a couple other 
people that rent from them in there. And they said, we'd like to do an event space. And so we had this big old engine room on the back of this building that really, you know, had, had to put a vision together for that. And so that was able to lease. And then I had four other buildings on that site that we were able to monetize. And so that also helped. Initially, I, I, I moved the Building Industry Association's trade school down there, um, and then they were looking for space. So they were in the other building. And then Laren, who repairs windows, he needed a spot to operate. And then, you know, Cosmic Charlie's, who really was not, that came to me through a broker and saying they were going to be a great tenant. And no offense to brokers, but it just was not the right fit. So they moved on. And then immediately I found a great tenant called Black Soil who's in there now. And they have got a great mission and it fits much better with the whole the whole vision there. So the sales pitch, yeah, I mean, can we make things affordable? Can we do it in a cool way? And can people be be successful there? And can we create something that can be real community kind of hub and focus and, uh, and be proud of? So that was kind of the pitch. I yeah. can attest to the event space being very cool because we are booking our wedding at that event. Fantastic. <laughs> That's great. So you've made that decision? We've made yeah. that decision. Yeah. Oh, well, thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I mean, it's, it is an incredible, if, if, if you're listening to this and haven't been down to Gray Line, it is an incredible blend of the community of Northside and really stays true to the roots of that side of Lexington. And just, it gives people the opportunity to start a business or, or to push their business onto the North side to where they just have an ability to, to integrate into that community. You know, it's a small kind of experiential economy on the corner of North Lime Loudon, an old renovated bus garage. You know, the $250 kiosk, small business owner to an established business looking to grow into a new neighborhood and develop a new customer base. And I think this type of development could re- really offer that. And so I think with Grayline, when I thought about a, a tenant, the, the real, I think, difference here, and I think the summit did, did this well, even though they spent a huge amount of money and, and, made, and built that from scratch, but an experiential retail economy or, or, you know, I think when you come down and any neighborhood wants to, you want to see your neighbors, you want to, you know, you want to spend money at the local artisans and you want to, you know, you want to be a part of that. That's what makes a great neighborhood. And could Grayline really engage that and build upon that? And I think in the end, I think we got, you know, we did as best as we could, as we could do. And we still have quite a few more things we got to accomplish here. Um, but, you know, food's one, but again, the things filled up, um, I'm pretty much 100% occupancy. Um, I just, you know, we still have to do the build out on several of the things. We got all that done in the middle of the pandemic. And as I say we, it's just me and uh, Jermaine O'Connell, who's from the neighborhood, who I hired to help with all the office work. And she's fantastic. And she's pretty much retired. And now she says she's got another career here, which it's sometimes I work her more than 40 hours. She's ready for a little time off, but, but she's been great. And again, she's great. She's from the, then lived in the neighborhood for 40 years. So I was able to create a cool job there and I really enjoy working with her. And then the crew that my crews developed over the years and they've been great. And I spent a lot of time with them and that's where I feel more comfortable, most comfortable. I think you've done a great job. So, I mean, I live right down from it. I've walked down there several times and I love it. I walk down, it's always between that or Minton's, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, and Minton's, Minton's great. is insane. But I love it. You've done a great job, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see it continue to develop and the more stores come in there and see what happens. But a couple of rapid-fire questions here to end this, end this off. Future of Lexington, let's start with, you know, for those that are wanting to develop the future of Lexington, what's some advice you'd give uh, new-coming investors that, that you've learned along the way that sure. you'd want them to either avoid mistakes or that you'd do it something differently if you go back and do it again? I'd say go into each project with the neighborhood 
and the customer in mind. I mean, create a building and a tenant base that adds to the neighborhood experience in a positive way. I think that's important. And I think the neighborhood will embrace that. And I think the customer base that the tenant that you choose is important to think about. Now, not all customers are coming from the neighborhood, but if you can bring a good customer into the neighborhood that will spend money, and uh, I think that's a that's a good thing. Good. And so we always like to end on forward-looking statements. So, you know, you are a Lexington native. You've been developing Lexington for a long time now. Where do you where do you see the city going? Uh, what what gets you excited about the future of of Lexington? I mean, I think Lexington's a great great city. If we look at quality of living in any city, I think you know you have these great diverse little neighborhoods in these kind of small areas that you can go and shop. And I think that's why North Limestone and Loudon is a great opportunity to really grow, you know, good infill, quality bike lanes and paths, good parks. I think if Lexington could, you know, could really grow our bike paths and our lanes and really get get our communities moving towards the hubs, I think I think that would be a really nice experience. You know, streetscape beautification is always, I think, great for the city to do. And I think people are proud of their neighborhood. You know, if we can continue to create what we've done on North Limestone, it's kind of an organic kind of approach. We didn't tear everything down and build new um, like the summit. But I really think this organic growth is probably the best growth. And it's a growth that's, I think, viable because being from the neighborhood, hiring people from the neighborhood, working there every day, it, it, it's it's sustainable where um, – and. You know, I'm excited about that. And I think if we could do more projects like this, you know, I'm not, I hope, I hope we get the opportunity to.